M1 is the finance super app where you can invest, borrow, save, and spend all in one place. You set your strategy and they automate it for free in an easy to use app. M1 is making money management easier, smarter, and more automated than ever. If you're like me and you struggle to make time for investing or anything really, M1 is the best set it and forget it investing app I've ever used. Go to m1finance.com slash Katoon to get started today and earn $30 to invest after you fund your account. Terms and conditions apply. M1, yours to build. So first off, thank you for coming on the show. I, I sincerely appreciate it. We had the opportunity to do a little debrief intro call prior to uh, this podcast, which I don't usually do. But in this case, I think it was it was helpful because sales is this like weird kind of disgusting word for some and kind of like super cool word for others. You talk to uh, some of the more seasoned, older investor operator guys. And they're like, yeah, man, I'm a salesman. Like at the end of the day, I'm a salesman. Like I'm a CEO, but I'm a salesman. And they're proud as shit to say it. Um, You start talking to some of the younger folks that are more technology enabled. And they they give you this like wind around kind of, I use tech to develop leads, to source data, all this (laughs) kind of stuff. They they like do anything they can to say I'm a salesperson. And, and it's kind of fascinated me for the last, you know, I grew up in a house of sales. Like I, I've been around this my whole life. It, it has been a weird decade right. for me as a person trying to build businesses and, and hiring young people to build everything that at, at some point or another has to be sold and right. why people run from the title. Uh, I don't know. And so I'm excited to talk to you because you guys have a company called stable work that I think is potentially very, very helpful to a lot of different sizes of companies, but before I project myself any further, uh, why don't you share with us a little bit about stable work? And I, I'm excited to learn kind of your perspective as someone who works in this industry directly. Yeah, yeah. So uh, obviously, uh, my name is Clarence De Silva. I'm the CSO of, of Stable.Work. Um, background on Stable, you know, we, we launched the first iteration of our platform 2016 um, and went through a, a rebrand 2019. I've uh, been growing ever since, working with uh, companies of all shapes and sizes across multiple industries, um, what our clients have in common is they've got a product or service. Typically, our, our clients have more technical products and services. Yep. Um, they're selling it B2B. They've got a very targeted group of business that they'd like to go after. And, and how they leverage um, the platform uh, primarily at, at this moment is top of funnel. It's, it's the front end of the sales process. So, you know, we work big, beautiful lists. We're the warm introduction. We qualify. We tee up you know, meetings, demos, discovery calls for our clients to close. Um, Now you hear that value prop, you start thinking lead generation agencies, right? Naturally, thousand and one lead generation agencies. And and what makes us different is we're not an agency. You know, uh, when you're working with Stable, you're not outsourcing your sales offshore to India, Indonesia, the Philippines. Uh, We're not some local call center. We are a marketplace. So it's like independent, experienced, local B2B sales professionals that do the work, our clients maintain complete control on who's representing their brand. What we're trying to do is give, um, give them all of the control that they get from having the in-house team with, yep. with all the flexibility that they get from fractional and freelance. And kind of our big aha moment when we started embarking on this journey is, 
the fractional engagement actually attracts uh, an entirely different resource from an experience level, right? Yep. Like you, you think anyone knows the sales space, the entry level position on a sales floor is the BDR, right? Yeah. That's, not, that's the hunter, right? You are doing all the grunt work to tee up the high value meetings for the account executive to close. Right. And uh, no one wants to be the hunter for the rest of their life. Um, unstable because of the fractional flexibility, we're attracting some amazing people that would never apply for those full time positions for either one of three reasons. They're either unavailable, they're too costly, or they're too qualified. So, you know, I'll give you an example. We've got this lady, uh, Jennifer, amazing lady. She was an ex VP of sales at a Fortune five. She had a kid. Kids started going to preschool. She's doing 18 hours a week for a client on the yep. platform. Um, so, um, you know, we really believe the future work is, is freelance, that people are, are opting out of these linear career paths of the past. You're seeing this happen across multiple industries, you know, software development, marketing, branding, copywriting. Um, and we've kind of figured out a formula that's made it work for sales. Yeah, I mean, I, I have to agree with you. I, I think the, fra I mean, not just in sales, the fractional uh, nature of the workforce and it's only exacerbated by COVID and the remote work thing and pandemic. Like it just, it created for some people it's, it's, it's bad. It's fearful. Like for some people it's like, Oh shit. Like I'm not going to have a career. Like, like I have this protection. I work at this company. It's, it reminds me of office space. Like I've got people skills, you know, like I'm hiding here Right. Um, for them. It could be trouble, but right. for the vast majority of, of sort of driven people, who value their time over a lot of things, I, you know, like I'm, I'm using myself as an example, but like there's a certain market within the tech startup ecosystem that I know well. So I could very much like help sell tech somewhere. Now, what okay. I want that on my, on my LinkedIn is like, this is what I do. No, but I right. do happen to have a huge list and, and can network. make money. Right. right. And, and then there's other, other jobs and things like I, I, you know, I do a podcast. I could do editing of a pod if I needed money. Like I just see people being like, certain times of the year, I need, I have more time. I want to make as much money as I can so that later on down the holiday or the summer, I don't have to be quite as tuned in. Regular employment doesn't provide that. When you, when you get into sales, it gets even more complicated because companies are evolving. Their missions that you might've signed up for in the beginning shift. I mean, I use tech as an example, so I'll just use it again. Like I think of if I were in the business of selling tech, you know, you've got sort of offshore, onshore, there's all these different models. Well, what if you were working for a company that predominantly sourced from China or somewhere like that? Well, we just went through this whole thing with privacy and there was free Hong Kong and then there's the, the COVID and the whole right. Wuhan connection. And it became this really cultural thing that honestly just makes your job really hard as a salesman. So maybe I don't want to work here and sell this, but I still want to sell tech you can go somewhere else. You can sell a different product. And I think the, the larger point I'm trying to make for the audience is at the end of the day, you want to be working on what you're most skilled at, what you are most passionate about and what you feel you believe in the most, because as a salesman, that's kind of the keys to being able to sell anything is you actually believe it. Right. And I think you guys create that. And I think that's ultimately why you will be successful from the, from the, 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 the supply side, I should say. It's interesting you said the supply side. You're right. You know, when you think about salespeople, right? When companies are vetting salespeople and they're looking at their whole sales process, right? Like from the BDR's perspective, at the end of the day, what they really care about is what is their cost per meeting, right? right? Um, when they're looking at their their account exec, at the end of the day, what they care about is what's their their cost to acquire, 
a new customer, right? right? Um, and with the full-time BDRs, you know, you're, you're typically investing in a long hiring cycle. You're investing in training. You're investing in ramp up. Um, you know, industry average is about three and a half months to get these individuals to quota, right? Uh, but the biggest pain point in the space is it's, it's high turnover. Again, no one wants to be the BDR for the rest of their life. Right. So the, so the second they get a little bit comfortable, they move on. Unless you've got an AE job lined up for them, they're gone. Right. right. Uh, so you essentially invested in the education for an experienced sales rep to jump in another company and kill it. Um, account exec, same thing. Sales is a high turnover position. Um, and, and, and I've been trying to kind of figure out why. Like, like if you look at most other industries, you know, departments, they don't see typically as much turnover as you would in a sales department. Yeah. And, and, and clearly that engagement because of that turnover metric is, is, is somewhat broken um, because of the, the fractional flexibility. It works both ways. Like you said, right. A rep is in our marketplace actually has the ability to have a lot more control in the types of projects that they, they bring on, right. Types of contracts that they take on the type of, of, of companies that they want to be selling to leveraging their skill set. So from a satisfaction perspective, we've got some really happy reps that have a lot more control in their day, right. Um, they have the opportunity to, to test drive a few different contracts and see which ones they're super, super passionate about selling. And, and I love jumping on, on conversations with these people. And, and, you know, I was just chatting with one the other day where he uh, transitioned from a full-time started working on stable, completely part-time. And now we are his full-time gig. Right. Yeah. And for all those reasons, the, the flexibility. Yeah. I mean, I think, you know, it's funny you mentioned the sales component of this, like for whatever reason, it's, it's more volatile for salesmen. I think most jobs, there's an onboarding period. It's like, get familiar and here's our tech stack and here's how we use this and here's a new tool for you to learn and whatever. In sales, it's kind of both sides and it happens really quickly. Like you either understand our client base and you have the knack to talk to them or you don't. And we right. all kind of know real quick. And like you, you like, we might have a new tool. CRM might be HubSpot versus Salesforce versus Active right. or whatever, right. or you're using Apollo or you're more tech enabled or, or whatever. The KPIs might be slightly different. The tools available are different. But for the most part, in my experience, you get into a room, you look at this guy or girl, and they're telling you they can sell everything under the wind. And, and like, they're selling you. So you're like, you know, I, I'll hire you because I, I believe it. They're in, <laughs> they're in a role for a week and you kind of know, like they come back like, well, you know, three months, we'll do an assessment. It's like, no, 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 no. Yeah. You know, and, and so do they. And I think one of the things is like in the past, the salesman has to protect himself. Right. They don't want to be like, oh, you're right. This isn't a fit. I got to go. Because yeah. they, they're not going to get paid. Their base. and like, So they just ride it out. And both people end up really ultimately losing money. They don't make anything in bonus. The company loses out on time and training and all of this. Right. And now I, I think, so I think that's like a sales thing just in general. I don't think any other position in a company is so obvious. But right. I do think that like now with tools like this, it allows a salesperson to be like, you know what? Like this isn't a good fit. Like I, I am exactly who I said it was, but your client base, they don't like to cut up my jib. So like, <laughs> that's, that's the deal. And, and they can go both ways. And I think the other part is you start getting in demand, which is the next part of this conversation is like, I genuinely think you look at older, more mature companies. What I would say is like PE targeted companies, right? They generally have a sales system set up, but they don't have the troops. Right. And they, and they continue to like, they get older and they retire or leave or whatever. 
and the younger class of people are not trained up to do inside sales like the old day. And so like, that's a separate thing we'll get into. The other part of this, I genuinely think is like the younger companies founder led that don't get it. Like they just don't get, like they don't get it. And like, I think the demand is going to start picking up as they start getting funded and they start trying to grow when they realize that like, it's okay to have someone say no. It's, it's like, okay to be told, stop emailing me. That's just, no, it's okay. Like, you know, but like, they don't, sometimes they don't, they don't know that they don't come from that. Uh, you know, they never smiled and dialed at, right. you know, in college, like you and I probably did, you know, right. you know, it's just a right. different mindset. We look at salespeople like you would a professional athlete. I think, I, you know, I think that there's a lot of correlation between professional sports and, and professional sales. Right? Oh yeah, for sure. That's why a lot of ex-athletes like college at, like, I think it's enterprise rent a car forever. Their right. MO was that they wanted like a C student who played sports. That was their right. MO. They crushed. They crushed it. Right. And, and it's because it's a competitive sport, right? right. You're, you're it, you know, it starts with activity. It starts with how hard you're willing to put, you know, put the yeah. work in and then it's how effective you are with every conversation you have. Right. You yeah. gotta be a people person. you got to be a team player and, and you've got to have that grind. And if you've got those characteristics, you're good. So, you know, one of the things our product team, um, has been working on from day one is the whole analytics and activity tracking and monitoring of the salespeople when you're working for a client, right? right? Like when, when you pay for an hour of time from a sales rep in our marketplace, we've created this, this ecosystem of trust, right? You know, exactly what you got for you set it up front, you know, in some circles, you say the word sales consultant, and it's a bad word, yeah. right? Um, and, and in some circles, it's not right. It just depends on who you're talking to. But in some circles, it's a bad word. And 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 I think the, the biggest reason for that is the engagement of some sales consultants are typically vague, right? Yeah. Um, and they leave people guessing on, okay, well, what did I really get for this? That's tangible. I didn't get a deal out of it. So what did I actually get? And there might've been some onboarding. There might've been some systems and processes that were set up. Uh, and then maybe the client didn't know how to use them or I, I don't know. And and, and, no. and it's this vague engagement that, that leaves both parties a little bit confused and unsatisfied. So um, when we, when we, before we even got to work on the product, we talked to a lot of businesses and we talked to a lot of sales reps and that was the biggest issue. It's like, okay, well, if I'm going to work with a salesperson, I need to know what they're up to when they're working for me, right? I need to know how my brand's being represented when they're, when they're representing my brand. So uh, activity metrics, you know, tracking transparency is the name of the game on our platform. And I think that's one of the reasons why, um, you know, clients trust reps unstable because there's other marketplaces out there. You look at, you know, Fiverr, you, yep. you look at Upwork, they've all got salespeople that are on there or at least represented there, but you know, nobody's actually picking up salespeople from Upwork or, or, or Fiverr, right? right. It's, it's, it's more like the offshore, uh, great for virtual assistance and, and administrative tasks, great for project-based work, like, you know, graphic design. I, I actually used a salesperson from Fiverr who was US-based. He was based in South Carolina. I'll tell you, he was the nicest guy in the world. He was, yeah. but I didn't have a clue what the hell he was doing. And I, I'm CC'd on eight, like the only way you really could do it, because there's no tech there for this, right? is to like CC me on emails and ask me about decks and like, I don't know, was he taking a couple of my PowerPoints and maybe shift a route? But like at the end of the day, we, we got, we got a couple of intros, no engagements. Right. And I, I just think that like when it runs, like sales is one of those, it's a trust business. Right. So like when it runs as like something that's kind of ancillary to your core, 
and it's just a guy floating around out there. I don't know. Like you can give him an email, but that's not like, it, it seems to me really quickly obvious if I'm talking to you, if you have any idea what's going on in the business, which they don't. Right. Because right. they don't have access to any of that information. Right. 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 So, so I mean, to your point, it, it did like, I actually did meet a guy who I thought was talented and in his realm, I'm sure he probably, uh, if it's in network, I'm sure you can sell to anything, but if you're out of network, you know, it becomes really difficult. The two things I want to cover before we end this is like one more positive thing. And then I got one like questionable, like, I don't know how, how does this get solved over time? Okay. The other positive thing here is just the ability for companies to scale up their team during peak seasons and, yes. and the ability for them to have the flexibility to not like they could hire, they could have the same person effectively work three different periods of the year and then down during the other parts of the year. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, seasonal campaigns. And we've got, we got quite a few clients that run seasonal campaigns. The ability to ramp up, scale back, pause yep. your campaign, restart um, is a huge, huge advantage. So, you know, we, we work with established com uh, companies with seasonal campaigns. Like for example, one of our clients, like it's a, it's a, it's a national uh, professional snow removal company. Yep. Um, they work with, you know, multifamily purpose-built landlords across the United States. Um, they deal with some of the big portfolio ones as well. Um, they only sell three months, four months out of the year. Right. right. Um, and they've got a campaign and, you know, reps that are locked and loaded that have this four month contract every yep. year with them. You know, we've got number of clients right now on Christmas holidays that are like, huh, can we pause from, you know, the, the 15th till January 7th, right? Right. And they can hit pause. Um, obviously, they negotiate with those reps in, in, in on their contract, but you know they've got the flexibility to do that. And I think that's obviously a big win when you start looking at you know your burn and your spend um, becomes really attractive for companies that either one have great teams in house but just need some additional bandwidth, like their teams are stretched. Uh, it becomes extremely attractive to obviously startups. Like we're working with a number of YC startups, you know, Google's uh, AI accelerator, Gradient Ventures. We've got a number of their startups on our platform where it's founder-led sales, right? They've got a motion. Now they've raised a little bit of capital. Investors want to see uh, how predictable that motion is. And they need some some great salespeople to come in and, and accelerate that. Um, and we've done we've done great work for them. A, a lot of a lot, lot of our previous clients have have gone on to raise series rounds after running their initial campaigns on stable and really flushing out what that predictable motion could look like. Yeah. So that was the, the follow on question is how do you get involved with companies that are operating on either an obsolete, outdated or non-existent sales strategy plan? And like, right. when I look at the, the dirty word of sales, I actually don't think of it that like, I'm happy to go into any circle and say I can sell my ass off. But it's because right. I, I only pick a couple things. Like I, right. I don't change course often. Like I'm selling the same shit for a decade. It's just maybe different packaging. A lot of people are, it's like art and science. And we've heard this many times in, in sales. If you're science only, you probably don't ever run out of people. Like you're always using networks to drive, find new leads, et cetera. If you're art, you're probably just constantly like really farming your current network, in which case you can kind of only skin the cat a couple of times. Right. My concern from the, the supply side is that you've got to be really careful uh, if you're going on to platforms like selling, you don't want to keep switching up what you sell to all the people in your network. I think that's one thing that it's not really your problem because there's a gazillion people out there, but it's something that I'm sure you can help uh, make them fit in the right way. The, the bigger problem that I'm curious how you guys look at it and how you solve it really truly is like those who 
have either antiquated or non-existent sales org strategy before you guys come on? Because I would think that if they have some sort of plan of attack that's like somewhat modern, you guys would crush it. Right. If they don't, like the worst thing you could do is, is join them and then you don't succeed. And it's like, it's not even your fault. Like they genuinely were not set up to succeed no matter what. So some clients have pretty, like, like you know, they, they've got a sales process. Right. That they just need some, some bandwidth to jump into. And we do great with those, but we actually do a lot of work. And I would argue probably the majority of our work with companies that are still kind of figuring it out. How we kind of tackle that is all of our clients go through a very structured and meticulous onboarding process and it's guided um, where there's kind of three main things that are accomplished. One is they, they, they've got to identify their ideal customer persona for their campaigns that they're wanting to run because that's one of the variables that goes into how we match them with reps, yep. right? It's who they want to sell to. Um, we do that up front because obviously the reps got to have a crystal clear picture of the business that they're looking to acquire. But, but number two, if they don't have a big, beautiful list of prospects to approach, um, we've got internal partnerships that can help them flush out those lists. So there's a lot of B2B databases out there. Some of them are super expensive. We've partnered up with all of them. Um, so our clients have access. Number two is we actually, uh, through the help of like some senior sales advisors on our platform, actually help them develop some very functional talk tracks and methodology, right? So we'll capture the information from them, um, you know, right from their team that we need to build out these assets. And these are the initial sales assets, right? The talk track is everything. FAQ, strategy with the gatekeeper, value prop with the decision maker, qualification questions, objection handlers, the close, how you tee up the meeting. We kind of formalize the strategy because what we're trying to do for all of these clients is create a predictable sales motion. Yep. Um, and it starts with, you, you gotta make the touches right? Um, you got to be making phone calls, sending the emails, LinkedIn messaging, whatever it is, with the objective of all of that activity to be to get that conversation, right? That's number one. And then when you get the conversation, that's your moment to shine. That's your opportunity to be the warm introduction, establish the need and tee up the meeting, right? We actually support these clients with building out this process. And, and I think when we jump in, you know, we hear all sorts of stuff. Like, how are you guys currently acquiring the brunt of your new business opportunities? Oh, we get all of our business through referrals, which is great. I love referrals. We get a ton of them as well. You know, my beef with referrals is they're not predictable, you know? Right. Right. You ask me how many referrals I'm going to get in February of this year. I'd have no number for that. But if you ask me how many uh, meetings we're going to get or demos we're going to get from our outbound sales motion, I'd have an, an exact. The, the referral thing is like, even if you have an incentivized program, like for, I have a B2C company and a B2B company, the B2C company, we have referral program. That's, it, it doesn't matter. It's, it's gravy, whatever yeah. happens on it. Like we it's always, gravy. it's shorter sales cycle, right? Credibility through association. They're going to close more likely than not. And the source uh, of the referral, we already closed. So we already, we're right. already net positive, net positive on the initial sale. So anything that happens after that, it's like free. It's great. Right. In the B2B cycle, there are parts that operate similarly. You know this, but what I would tell someone listening to this, like, and if you have an early startup or even a, I don't know, series A startup, I would hope you have discovered this by now, but maybe not. Uh, you can't predict it, as you said, but you, you can't project on it. Right. You can't use like, yo, we closed $600,000 in deals last quarter because of so-and-so, such-and-such. So, so next October, we're going to, we anticipate having another 750. It's like, whoa, 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 whoa. that was like yeah. completely blind luck. Like you, if you have a business that has the ability to, to do heavy referral, unless it's subscription and even that you really have to build a model around it in a way that's like, that's all extra, right? It's all free. 
a hundred percent. Like, you know, and, and we were able to jump into them quite easily once right. they actually see the product and the platform, because when you jump into the platform, you can, you can see quite clearly how we, how we start from a, and we end to some qualified meetings. Like everything is, is predictable. There's full transparency. They have complete control. So again, ecosystem of trust in our platform that, you know, you, you jump in, you see our product, you know, exactly how we get it done. Um, you know, so, some of the clients we, we, we work with, you know, they're getting all of their leads through ad spend. Yeah. Right? Or, or SEL, they're all inbound. And, and when I, when we, when we kind of unpack that, the, the biggest challenge with the, the marketing leads that are coming in that most of them are experiencing is the quality, right? Yeah. Um, you know, inbound leads, you got your time wasters, you got your looky lose, you got prospects that don't fit your ideal customer profile. You got prospects that don't, or would never have the budget to pay what you need them to pay. Um, and, and you're spending a ton of time, you know, you call it an MQL, you know, ask any salesperson, they'll prefer an SQL over an MQL yep. uh, because the SQLs are, are, are more qualified, right? right? Benefit of the sales motion, uh, unlike marketing is, you can go after exactly the business that you want, right? Yep. We're, we're not just talking the industries. We're, we're not just even talking the companies. We're talking about the very specific individual person who responsible for, for who cuts the check. Yep. Like we can literally be hunting a conversation with them. That's the yes. beauty of the, of outbound sales. So, you know, those conversations, people in the market, they're like, huh, well, we never really thought about this, but you know, Clarence, what you guys said makes a ton of sense. I think we're willing to try it. We just need people to jump in on a pilot. Um, and then typically, you know, they stick around once the motion works. So, um, and if they have so much success, they start ramping up and, you know, they raise a bunch of money and uh, the fractional model is not needed for them anymore. So be it. We've also got a mechanism in our contract where they can actually, you know, we call it try before you buy. You've got a rep yep. that you love and you want to offer them a full-time job. We look at that as like the ultimate win on stable. We create yeah. such I mean, that's like the, the full cycle of a customer and it's, right. you know, in, in a lot of ways, I don't think this is a surprise to anyone listening. There's, and this is not unique to you. This is like where I think the market's going. Right. It's like kind of a, everybody's a little bit of a recruiter. In the old days, they would put in the contract, like if you did anything or they did anything, like everyone gets hung by the gallows. <laughs> like it's right. not good. Uh, right. it, you know, it's treachery. But now yeah. Yeah. Uh, it's sort of an assumption that like, if I work with you and I love you, it's so hard to find the right people for the right jobs anymore. And it's so easy to lose someone at your company because you're dissatisfied. And then it's, it's, again, you made this analogy before about sports. It's the same thing with like how you treat your players, right? If you don't pay them where they're supposed to be paid and treat them how they're supposed to be treated and do the things to make LeBron happy, LeBron's gone, but it's not just LeBron. Nobody comes back to your, nobody plays for you and signs with you ever again. Right. And I, I think business is going that way. It's much more public. Uh, whether it's Glassdoor or Twitter or wherever people are talking. Or, or, or LinkedIn, right? Yeah, I, I always forget about LinkedIn, even though that's like probably one of my bigger followings. It's just to me. Right. It's, like, it's, it's, it's the big one because, you know, back in the day, you know, obviously salespeople own their networks, but now it's a lot more transparent. So, yeah. like, you know, when you're the BDR and you just had a conversation with this person and booked a meeting, well, guess what? You're connected with them on LinkedIn now. Oh, yeah. Right? yeah. Um, and, 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 you know, then the account exec jumps in and they're closing the deal. And guess what? They're connected. With them on LinkedIn yep. right now, um, and LinkedIn is obviously we can get into that conversation another time, <laughs> but it's a, it's it's an interesting beast, right? You know, a lot of companies are spending a lot of money on on salespeople that are spending a ton of time on LinkedIn, um, and and you know, 
got to ask yourself, it's like, well, are they on LinkedIn for you or are they on LinkedIn for themselves? Or, or are they on LinkedIn for both? Or I think I know uh, the is, answer is, to that. Is, is one feeding the other or, or is one not feeding the other? I our, don't know. Congrats, our very own CEO on X show. It's just yes. like, yes. LinkedIn is like this cesspool, but, on, but underneath it has like the most unbelievable data network ever. We always say this, like, you know, you'll, you'll never find a job for stable or like a positioning for stable on indeed. Like right. we're not, we're not finding our supply from, from indeed. We, we beauty of sales as we know, we know exactly. Good thing we don't have them sponsored in this episode. <laughs> <laughs> well, 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 not, not because they're not great. No, I know, they do. I know, I know. It's just, well, the, the, the beauty of sales is if you're any good at sales, you've got a LinkedIn profile. So we know exactly where they are. And, and, and there's a very specific persona of sales rep right. that we we found to do extremely well on our platform that that I won't get into. We just go after them, right? Yep. You know, we, we literally hunt them like we would hunt a client for, for the platform on the supply, on the demand side. I love it. I, I do, like I said at the top of this, I think there's a serious need for this. I think this is absolutely when Tailwind is with you. Like this is where we're going. I think startup companies there, you know, whether you're talking about tech or sales uh, I think that there's a bunch of roles that now really uh, I kind of look at you like you're a moron. If you don't have some sort of flex, if there's not some sort of like, we have a kind of a, here's our core five. Like I've, I've believed this from the very first business I built back in 2011 that was called network equity with equity. Like that was the whole point. It was like, you have four or five people who are every single day who breathe, bleed, live this whole thing. And they go find the five most talented people for every project. Why would we make you who's not a professional at this particular thing, try to pretend to be when, like when I could just go get someone who's good at this. Right. right. You were, you were, this is where this is going. Uh, I think companies should be looking at this. I think anyone who's in a sales role, who's not like, I mean, honestly, I was going to say not like the head of your sales department. I would argue, even if you're the, if you're the head, you probably should do this too. Like you should have full-time job and also this, uh, I, I really like it. Clarence, thanks so much for, for doing this and coming on and talking about it. Where do people go to sign up and to learn more and to, to keep up with you guys? Um, ch- check us out on stable.work. Okay. It's under our site, it's all there. You know, if, if you're interested in, in meeting some of the great salespeople we got on the platform, you know, go to that page. Um, and if you're looking to, to, to make some money and you've got a network and you like speaking to people, um, you know, we, we got a page for that. You know, our, our mission from day one has always been to put as much money as possible in the pockets of the salespeople on our platform. Right. Um, you know, and, and I think that's why we're keeping them on there. So, um, yeah, stable.work, check us out. Looking forward to meeting y'all. What do, what do I, just as a quick one, what do, what do I do as a guy who uh, wants money, has a massive network, but doesn't like to talk to people? <laughs> what, what's my, <laughs> what do you got for me? Is there anything? Um, <clears throat> massive network. You don't like actually talking to people. We've got a couple other cool service categories that are coming out. Do you uh, actually? We do. Um, and and it's, it's been around the mission of how can we get salespeople work um, outside of business hours? Um, and there's been a lot of stuff around that conversation because obviously, you know, if you're cold calling, if you're prospecting, companies typically want you to do that yep, between yep. business hours. Um, but, you know, we got a lot of reps on the platform that are doing this as a side hustle. Like I won't, mm. I won't actually mention the companies that they work for, for their full-time yeah, basis. Probably a good um, idea. But, but they're on stable part-time um, and they're playing time zones, right? So yep. for example, if you finish your day job on the East coast at 4 PM, that's prime time on the West coast. There's a West coast company that'll pay you big money for those three hours because you've got the skills, right? Um, Age of the side hustle. 
right? And, and we've even had companies that have connected with the West Coast company and then have transitioned over there full time because they found their favorite perfect solution, right? The perfect customer, the perfect product that might not have the biggest brand name, but it's putting more money in their pocket. Um, I think you just named this this episode. It's the age of the hustle. And uh, yeah. we got some bonus material here at the end of the show. This is, this is why people should listen to the show the whole way through because you just got some free free questions at the end here. Clarence, thank you so much for taking the time. Thanks, Scott. If you're interested in self-directed investing from startups to crypto and public markets, my Substack is a great way to learn how professional investors screen, review, and pull the trigger on deals. Join the largest community of micro-investors and startup founders on Substack by going to katoon.com.